All right, this evening we want to begin our studies in Revelation chapter 18. And uh, as we've been looking at this passage in chapter 17, and I've actually actually asked you all to consider the suggestion that According to the scriptures that we have touched upon from Genesis all the way to Revelation, actually, that um, that we look at this this particular view that this mystery Babylon, this uh, uh, mother of harlots uh, and of the abominations of the earth, uh, so often people have have looked at this particular. Uh, statement at the beginning of chapter 17 and said, well, this, this has to be, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the Roman Catholic Church. It has to be this, has to be that. Uh, she sits on uh, a city of seven hills. And, and of course, we, we, we talked about all of that already and have come to certain conclusions, even though they're suggestions, because, you see, it's still yet to happen. But we've come to certain conclusions based upon a lot of changes that have happened over the last 50 years. Uh, and actually what you want to take it back to is, is, is back to uh, actually almost 60 years or actually more than 60 years as you deal with, a, with the birth, the rebirth actually, of the nation of Israel. So from that time on, Bible teachers or Bible prophecy teachers have started, you know, they, they started to look at things from the perspective that, okay, now there's an Israel again, so obviously then there's going to be things happening leading toward the coming of Jesus Christ again. Well, let's, let's remember now we want Jesus to come. I mean, this is one of the cries that we will study about in just a few chapters where we get to learn the word Maranatha. The word Maranatha is found here at the end of the book of Revelation. And the word Maranatha, I'm sure you've heard of it, but uh, you might not know that it means Lord Jesus come quickly. You know, Lord come quickly. So the, the desire for us is to see Christ come. But things have to happen as we look to the day approaching. And what has changed so much is, of course, Israel, first of all, uh, 1940, 1947. Um, and then 1948, and then there are the wars that they had to deal with in those times, uh, from that time to 1956 and 1967, there were little skirmishes all the way through that, uh, 1973, and then the Intifada and all kinds of stuff in the 80s and 90s, but always, and we've been going to Israel, and I always tell you, you it's, sometimes it's safer to be in Israel than it is here in the States, especially with the traffic in El Paso, but... Um, Outside of all of that, the, the point is that Israel is, has got God's hand upon it. There can be no doubt that Israel is there because God wants it there to be. Because he is, in fact, true to his word. He said he would bring back that nation into the land. He would bring the people back into the land. He would make the land which was at one time very desolate. He would make it fruitful. And it is. And it has become a powerful nation. When you think that a couple of the wars early on, Israel had to deal with 80 million enemies surrounding it. And it's still here, a nation that right now is around 7 million people. And you think, is it just happenstance or is it God? You read the stories of Gideon in the scriptures. Read the stories of, 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 of the children of Israel facing the uh, challenges of the of, of the world, the, the challenges of the of the nations surrounding it, the heathen nations. And at times, even with Israel's sins against God. 
In the times that they had to go into captivity, God continued to protect them because he said, I will still bless you. But he called them back, called them back, called them back. So these things are so important for us to understand. Israel's there. Now what's the next thing? Well, we began to say, okay, now, we, we, we're looking at this, this, this image that we saw in the book of Daniel in chapters 2 and in chapter 7, that there's this image that there, these nations are going to be involved now in the, in the last days uh, of, with Israel, and there's going to be an Antichrist, and, and so all of a sudden our eyes turn to things that we could kind of figure out, you know, well, there's... There, there's all this stuff going on in Europe. And then, of course, as I mentioned, you know, people would say, but, but look at the Catholic Church, you know, and the way that they, you know, there is a lot of problems with the way that the Catholics do things and, and actually, you know, what the basis is to a lot of their uh, ceremonies and rites and rituals that borrowed from the Babylonian religions, honestly. Uh, and we have, to, we, we have to accept that and believe that. But because of that, all of a sudden our eyes turn and say, okay, well, then the Vatican or Rome is, 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 the, uh, is the great harlot and, and, or, or, and the Antichrist is going to come out of Europe. And then all of a sudden we start seeing other things happening in the Middle East. And, and, the, and there's always been a Middle East. And there's always been nations in the Middle East that are causing all kinds of problems, especially towards Israel. And then it started causing problems toward the United States who has always been a protector and a, a friend to Israel. So all these things were happening. And then all of a sudden this thing called Islam started rising up. And we all knew, well, Islam is from the Middle East, but we don't know much about it. And, and we didn't really start learning much about Islam until when? 9-11-2001. And a tremendous impact was made upon our lives on that day. And we began to see things totally, totally different. I've always had, in my own personal studies, I've always had somewhat of a problem with the issues of, of, of just looking at Europe. And I think I mentioned it to you before that we were trying to say that the ten toes and the, you know, would be a ten nation confederacy out of Europe that would kind of form together as the one world government. And, you know, Rome is at the very center of all of that, religiously speaking and, and, and whatnot. But I started thinking, okay, they're trying to make the European common market, which is what it used to be called before. And then it was changed to the European uh, something else. And now it's the European Union. Uh, but anyway, they, they try to make it a ten-nation thing, and then all of a sudden there were more than ten nations in, the, in Europe, and then there were more than ten nations in the, in the, in the common market, and then, then in the European this and that, and the European Union, and, and this, I mean, it's just 29 nations or whatever it is now. So how do you make ten out of that? But there's, there it is in the East. There, there, there was a part to the Roman Empire of old that was an eastern part of the Roman Empire, which is where we started putting our focus on. That's why we, we are considering all of that today. Well, you know what? We can't stop considering that as we get back into chapter 18. We were in chapter 17, and, and we went through all of these things about Babylon, and uh, mostly it was dealing with a, a religious aspect of it. But it isn't just religious. I mentioned early on that we were going to look at chapter 18 as, as, as bringing forth a little bit more of the commercial part of Babylon. But in reality, it's not so much commercial as it is political. And the political side of it includes the commercial, it includes the military, it includes all of the other things that would fall under a political banner. So... Again, I say, let's, let's consider this as we go through chapter 18. So as we begin chapter 18, I, one thing for sure, we mentioned at the end of, of last week's study, we were talking about a city called Dubai. And uh, it's, it sits in the uh, Saharan Peninsula. The, uh, I should say the Arabian Peninsula, I'm sorry. The Arabian Peninsula, it's, it's really a part of that whole area 
that is known as Saudi Arabia. And the people who run that nation and country are pretty much really out of the same family as the Saudis. And so what you have there is this really kind of a counterbalance to the understanding of Islam because they're Islamic, but now they're very commercial. And we talked about there in Dubai having the tallest building in the world now. And the, the, the city itself, not only just the country, but the city itself, uh, uh, there's Abu Dhabi and, and Dubai, and, and all, you know, that, that's in Dubai. But the city itself is, is all about money. It's all about commercialism. But it was built by slave labor. Saudi Arabia is equally uh, slave built still to this day. Uh, it has been confronted by, you know, the UN from time to time about some of these illegal uh, slave uh, practices, uh, the sex trade, the drug trade, in a country that's supposed to be Islamic. Isn't that interesting? So the thing to, to consider is, here's something that would fit perfectly the, the template of, of uh, the great harlot known as Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. The description itself was given as if to say, well, look, there's purple and scarlet robes, there's gold and all of that, that's Rome. No, it's not. Not necessarily. You read through the scriptures and those very important colors, purple, color of royalty, crimson, the color of sin, And again, what is their money based on? Oil. Oil. The wine. Remember that little allegory that we kind of talked about last week. What wine do you have out in the desert? But that which comes out of the ground. Something to think about. And that harlot will be destroyed by those nations that are led by the Antichrist. Do you think that Europe would destroy Rome, folks? But a very militant Islam, they don't like the royalty of of the Saudis. They don't like it. They, They hate them. You would say, how could they destroy Saudi Arabia? It, how would they destroy Saudi Arabia if, if right in Saudi Arabia is Mecca and Medina, the two holy places of Islam? I don't know if you remember, but back when Saddam Hussein was, was sending Scud missiles into, uh, into, into Israel, they were going right over Saudi Arabia. And some of them landed in Saudi Arabia because that was some of their intention too. They didn't care about Mecca and Medina. Think about these things. These are things to think about. There's that war within Islam. Muslims kill Muslims. Isaiah chapter 19 tells us Egyptians will kill Egyptians. Now, I have to interject that, yes, they'll kill each other, but also... They are killing a lot of Christians in Egypt. You think in the last couple of years when they had that Arab Spring, I think it was last year or the year before, the Arab Spring. Y'all remember hearing about the Arab Spring? And we were going to go back them up over there and say, well, you know, it's democracy that we're wanting to support over there. No. We have to be smarter as a nation. Unfortunately, I say this with all due respect to the office, but unfortunately, I don't think those that are at the top really take anything to the Lord because they don't know the Lord. And that's sad about our nation. But that doesn't mean this nation doesn't have hope. And we need to keep praying. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will heal. I will Forgive their sin and heal their land. Well, our land needs to be healed. 
Put all that aside. What's happening in those areas is possibly bound to happen because of these nations the way they are. Killed by themselves, in a sense. So, has that happened before chapter 18? Well, let's find out. Because some people think that chapter 17 ends actually midway through the tribulation period. And then chapter 18 is a distinctive part of it that will end at the end of the tribulation. Well, we're going to reserve our ideas until we get through the chapter. So then I'll culminate it all together. Okay, here we go. Uh, Revelation 18.1, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Now this is the Apostle John speaking because he's the one that's receiving the apocalypse or receiving the, the, um, the revealing of, 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 of Jesus Christ throughout all of, of this uh, prophecy. And it says, uh, And he cried mightily, this angel, with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Babylon has become these things. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. I've underlined it so you can see the importance of that. And this is what it has become. Babylon. Mystery Babylon. In context, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. Would you say it's the same entity? I, o- I only see one, one harlot on, on the beast. I, I don't know if you all see more than one. I see one harlot on the beast. Okay, so, then it says... And by the way, we can, we'll go back, although I won't go back now, but when you go back, you, you realize that the same, the same stuff is, see, is said about Babylon in the same context. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of her wrath, or of the wrath, I should say, of her fornication. In other words, the, the indecent, immoral acts, not so much physically, even though that, we talked a little bit about that last week, but mostly spiritually, the, 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 you know, the spiritual deceptions and all of that. Uh, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. That means she, as a harlot, has deceived them and brought them into uh, the, the kind of, uh, uh, of acts that, uh, that are uh, abominable to God. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Now, I think that this is another clue that we're not really dealing with a church. We're not dealing with a church when merchants have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. The only one I see getting rich is the church, <laughs> but not anybody else. Okay, so a little commentary there. I want to read on so that you get a little bit of the, the nature of what we're going to be doing in the next couple of weeks. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive her plagues. Now, some people would say that that cry is actually to the people living in that time. But there is nothing to say that this is not a warning, as often we see warnings in the scriptures to the Israelites, to the Jewish people, and to the church ahead of time to say, Listen, it's time to get out of that situation. So this is speaking to John's generation and is speaking to the church and, and, and now as well. And people now that we that need to hear, and even Israel. Because it says, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as uh, she rendered to you. And repay her double according to her works. Now remember this. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. You see the twice mentioned? She's going to be paid double for her sins. Uh, in, in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. And here's the reason. Listen to this. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. Now, that could apply directly to Babylon 
as we're describing her now, but it also can describe all those who have been deceived by her, that have followed in her ways. Other religions, other religions, even pseudo-Christian religions, even some who say they're Christian but they really aren't because they don't believe in the Word of God and they don't believe the truth of Jesus Christ. Though they say they do, but they will not believe the rest of the Scriptures, as it were. So this can also apply to all those who have been sucked into this uh, deception. So in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure, give, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. That's pride. And we'll talk about that next week. And then it says here, therefore, her plagues will come in one day. In other words, immediately and fully in one day. Death and mourning and famine. And she will be utterly burned with fire for strong is the Lord God who judges her. So, to some degree, there is no real division or separation of thought or context between chapter 17 and 18, as seen by the fact that Babylon is once again mentioned as fallen and fallen. Fallen, fallen. Even though some would, would say that this phrase strongly suggests another Babylon. They say, well, there's, there's that religious Babylon and Rome, and, and then, but you get an 18, and now you, you're talking about commercial Babylon. And that could be just about anywhere. Maybe it is, you know, the Saudis. Maybe it is, you know, those in Dubai and all of that. But as I said before, there's only one harlot sitting on the beast. There's only one riding the beast. So within that one is the fullness the compilation, as it were, of all of those things together in that one mother of harlots. Now, some would say say that this phrase, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, strongly suggests that other Babylon. For example, as we saw in chapter 17, as religious Babylon, uh, then the second would be called commercial Babylon. And as some believe, the first is centered in Rome. Uh, the other is some coastal city, either on the Mediterranean or maybe in the Persian Gulf. But I find this hard to reconcile, listen, again, because we only have one great harlot. The duality here, though, the duality implied here, will obviously be key to our understanding the whole of these two chapters. Now, my suggestion to consider in light of our studies of chapter 17 is that we are dealing with a harlot whose roots are deeply grounded in the Babylonian false religious system established in Babel. We talked about that the last couple of weeks in, in Genesis chapter 11. There when they began to build the Tower of Babel. Nimrod being the very central character of all of that. And out of that, let me, let me just interject here, there was that Nimrod who, uh, according to the legend of Babylon and, and of, of that uh, uh, group of people, uh, he married that woman Semiramis who had that child Tammuz. And of course in Tammuz we find, you know, the deception of mother and child. And of course that was taken by the Catholic Church as far as Madonna and child and so on and so forth. So there you see the connection. There's connections there, but the root isn't in Rome. The root is in Babylon. Never forget that. But here's the false religious system in Babel that spread itself throughout the whole world over the course of its existence on the earth on the basis of its religion while promulgating a greater political message and, goal, and the goal of world domination. And within that political position will be its ties to commerce, to law, and to military power. That's why I say, okay, yes, we can say there is a religious Babylon. There is the characteristic of one Babel or one Babylon having the religious side of it. And that the other, on the other hand, they also have their political side to Babel or to Babylon. 
Well, may I, may I suggest to you that you look very carefully at Islam? Because I've said this before, but just in case you missed it, Islam is not so much about religion as it is about power, politics, and domination. The confusion sometimes comes when we see so many people coming to Islam and and uh, then again, there's a lot of people that come out of uh, the Middle East. They come to other countries, they come to the United States. I mean, they're all over the world on the basis and in many cases on the pretense that it's all about the religion and they're going for the freedom. It's funny to me that they're going out of the country where they're free to worship Islam because they have to worship Islam. They're not really free so much. But then they go to other countries and they, we have the freedom of religion. So people come over here and they worship as they say they do. And then they cause all kinds of political problems in the name of their God. But everything that they affect is politics, commerce, law, government, and the like. That is why I'm so blessed and so thankful when Muslims turn their lives to Jesus Christ and they begin to realize, as I said last week, when they see in the scriptures that our Antichrist is their Christ or their, their, uh, you know, their, their uh, Messiah and, and our Messiah is their Antichrist or their uh, Anti-Messiah, as it were, they're confused. And so when they come, they come with a tremendous testimony of what God can do. And I can tell you this, a lot of Muslims are coming to Christ in the Middle East. There's a, a tremendous, you know, when we talk about revivals, there, there is a revival in those countries. We don't hear much about it because they have to be very careful. We're thinking that because we live in a country like ours, oh, people get mad at us because we're Christians, you know, um, you know, for the, for the, Majority of history, most people have attacked Christianity by saying Christianity is not true. But it, but in the last few in the last few years, you know what they're saying? Christianity is a lie, or you know, or, uh, or or I should say, Christianity is evil. You know, so now we get a lot of attacks, and of course, it comes from unknowing people who don't know anything about the Word of God. But the fact of the matter is, we're still here. We're pretty much still alive. But in, in countries of this nation, of this nature, you know, where, where I mean, you, you put your life on the line every day if you confess Jesus Christ. Look at this thing, that Boko Haram thing in, in Nigeria where they've kidnapped, this, this nut has kidnapped almost 300 young girls. And immediately they send out uh, videos on, you know, the Internet that say that, you know, they're, they're converted now to Islam. And, uh, you know, they're prayed. They're forced it's, it, it's, it's a religion and a system of, vi- of violent bondage. There's no freedom in it whatsoever. And you're going to see those connections tonight in our text as we go on. I can talk on and on and on, but I have to get, I have to get back to time here because I want to make sure I don't leave you guys going home at about 1 o'clock this morning or next morning. So... If Mystery Babylon is Rome, let me, let me start here. If Mystery Babylon is Rome, then it has to be asked how, politi- how politically powerful the Vatican is in comparison to the rest of the world. Well, it, it might have some influence in the Western world, in particular in Europe, but it has no real influence in the East politically or religiously. This is why some prophecy teachers will say that the Babylon of Revelation 17 is Rome and the Babylon of Revelation 18 is a city in the Middle East to be determined later. So I want you to look at the duality again, this, this dual sense of, 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 of what we see as Babylon has fallen, has fallen. Let's look at that for a moment because I, I know I've gone over some of these, but this is just a point of review, but to give you an idea of what we're looking at. Look at Isaiah 29, I'm sorry, Isaiah 21, verse 9. It says, and look, here comes a chariot of man with a pair of horsemen. 
<clears throat> and then it says, Then he answered and said, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. So there is the first time that we see that phrase in the Old Testament. Babylon has fallen, is fallen, and all the carved images of her gods he has broken to the ground. Now, the next time we see this phrase is in Revelation 14. Now, we've already studied this part, but it says that another angel followed saying, uh, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that, the, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So, there is that, there has to be a reason why Old Testament and New Testament, both times, will use that phrase, is fallen, is fallen. Now, I'm going to show you another phrase, and I want to add to these verses the prophecies of Jeremiah that deal with Babylon, because then you'll get a, 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 another sense of, of this uh, dual judgment, as it were. It says in Jeremiah 51, verse 7, and we're going to look at verses 7 and 8. It says, Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand. Now, what that means is, I mean, you kind of have to go back and, and tie in a lot of loose ends on this, but... God actually, at one time, used Babylon to judge the nation of Judah because of its, because of its disobedience to God, because of its rebellion to God, because it had begun to worship other idols and the, you know, on their high places and stuff, and God had enough of that with his people. And he sent them into... Uh, as he as he sent uh, the, nation, the the children of, of of Israel to Assyria, the northern kingdom of Israel to Syria, he sends the southern kingdom of Judah to Babylon for the same reason, in in essence. And God uses these nations, you know, as a cup of judgment on His people. Now, but there's another meaning here too is that that cup has always been that God is going to judge this nation because it has rejected His truth. It has rejected Him. So Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine, therefore the nations are deranged. So it was a cup in the Lord's hand in that God was preparing to bring judgment by its acts of, of deception, its acts of, of uh, destruction, and so on and so forth. But in verse 8 it says, Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. So there's part of this understanding. Babylon has fallen. A nation can fall and not be destroyed. Would you, would you not agree? A nation can fall but not be destroyed. Look at Israel. Uh, look at the, the southern kingdom of Judah. Taken into captivity in Babylon. Or the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, the the northern kingdom of Israel, taken into captivity in Assyria, it had fallen, but it was not destroyed. What this says is, okay, Babylon has been, has fallen in in history, but now as we look to to the future, because this is speaking of Babylon in both cases, remember the, the dual nature of prophecy, there's an early... A prophetic uh, uh, completion, and there is a distant one. There's a near fulfillment, far fulfillment is the term I've used before. And so it says Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed, which means completely destroyed. So when it says Babylon has fallen, has fallen, then we're talking about it's not going to rise again. It's risen again to fulfill God's complete plan the allowance that God has in it, but it will not rise again. So Babylon has fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed, perhaps, but not really. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's not there, the text. I just added that myself. Because we know what's going to happen to it. And of course, I would have to say that there are many more passages in the scriptures that speak of judgments and God's fury and wrath to be poured upon Babylon. So what we see in verse 8 here is the full extent of the judgment. Babylon has fallen and been destroyed. The twice repeated phrase, is fallen, is fallen, also signifies and describes two separate parts or stages of the fall. 
In effect, the two aspects in which Babylon is considered, referring first to Babylon as a system of false worship and second as a city in which that system is finally and fully embodied, religiously and politically. Again, I ask you, think, who fits that template today? What fits that template today? And so Babylon will finally come to the day of her accounting. Let's go back to verses 1 through 3. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and, earth was, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. John sees now the angel. He sees another angel, actually, coming down from heaven with great power. Now, this angel's glory is so brilliant that the entire earth is, is, is illumined by this angel. And so, therefore, some teachers will identify this angel with the Lord Jesus Christ. And while that may be true, I'm not saying it isn't, but while it may be true, it doesn't necessarily have to be Jesus, since some angels have greater authority than other angelic hosts, and we won't really know for certain until then. But it's not the most important thing here. It's what this angel says that's important. So what matters is the announcement. The proclamation of Babylon's downfall. Notice that she has become everything that God hates. That's, that's something you need to write down if you're taking notes. Notice that the mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and the, uh, the abominations of the earth has become everything, everything, everything that God hates. A dwelling of demons. A prison for every foul and putrid spirit. And a cage for every unclean and hated bird. This, this is a tremendous contrast, isn't it, to the true habitation of God. You see, again, we have to look at contrasts here. What is the contrast to this dwelling place that we have heard here in verses 2 and 3? The contrast is toward the habitation of God. What is the habitation of God in contrast to this? Well, I'd like to draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 2 in the New Testament. So turn to Ephesians chapter 2 in your Bibles. Let me hear them. <laughs> I like to hear those pages, but we all have silent Bibles. I don't know what happened there. Either that or I just lost all my hearing. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. I want you to look at this passage. Paul says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we're now going to deal with the habitation of God, the household of God. Today we call it the church, the body of Christ, the bride. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Ah, so now something significant. This dwelling place, this habitation is holy, set apart for God and in the Lord in whom you also are being built together. You, you're the church. See, this building isn't the church. It's just a building. We are the church. We who are believers in Jesus Christ, we're the church. Did you know that? You do, you do know that, right? 
If you didn't, you need to know that before we leave here today. The church is us. In whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You're the dwelling place of God. Now notice this. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. What did we just read a little while ago? That Babylon had become the dwelling place of demons and a prison for every foul, what? Spirit? Wow. And did you notice there? What a man, what, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. I went, I went a little bit ahead of myself, but I, got, I get a little excited from time to time. You see, while this great harlot has become the prison of every foul spirit, the spirit of the world, let me give you a list here. Ready? Spirit of the world, which we see here in 1 Corinthians 2.11. And then there's the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. I'm going to show them to you here in a minute, but I'm just telling you what they are. And then there's the spirit of error. And then there's the spirit of bondage. And there's also something called the spirit of fallen man. So let's look again. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is, which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So as believers, we have to have the spirit of God in us. And when we come to Jesus Christ, God gives us his spirit. As a matter of fact, we can't even say that Jesus Christ is Lord without the Holy Spirit. So we have to have the Spirit before we say we have the Spirit, and then we have the Spirit, and then we say we, that He's Lord, and then we have the Spirit. I don't, want, I don't sound weird, do I? Well, I know I am, but I, you know. I just want you to, make, to be clear. We have to have the Spirit to know that there's the Spirit of God in us, and then we can say that Jesus is Lord, and then we can be filled with the Spirit. Is the Spirit of God essential in our lives? Yes. So even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world. There's the other one. The Spirit of the world. But the Spirit of who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So now we can know the things that God has given us because He has given us the Spirit of God which is in us. Because we are the habitation of God. And then Ephesians 2 verse 2 says, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's another foul spirit, you see. The spirit that works in the, uh, now in the sons of disobedience. So... Any religion, any false worship system or belief system that does not proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, as Redeemer, and, the, and that doesn't acknowledge Him as the Son of God and God the Son, follows after the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. But then there's another spirit mentioned in Scripture. 1 John 4, verse 6. John says, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And this is one of those things that we deal with all the time. People are always... Man, I was on the listening to things on the internet and I'm thinking, boy, what, what a platform some people... Have, have discovered just for their vile hatred of God and of Christ and of the Word of God and of the church and of Christianity as a whole and just then just spewing all kinds of stuff that doesn't even make sense. They don't know because of the spirit of error. We should know the difference between the spirit of truth, which is the spirit that God has given us, 
because it's about truth because truth is Jesus, isn't it? And we should know the difference between that and the spirit of error. But that's not the only spirit that we're dealing with as well. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father! Oh, what a wonderful thing it is for us to be able to say that God is our Father. And we can call Him Abba, which is pretty much translated as Daddy. Papa. Abba, Father. And that one contrary religion does not acknowledge that God is Father and that that God, which they call Allah, has no son. What's the difference then? We have not come to a belief system of fear or of bondage or of slavery. In fact, when we came to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it set us free from the bondage of sin and death and hell and evil and wickedness. Set us free by the spirit of adoption. And we can call him Father. And Jesus taught us that. Oh, Father. (laughs) You who are in heaven, how great and wonderful and high and hallowed is your name. Your kingdom. Lord, let it come. And let your will and yours alone be done on this earth where we live as it is where you are now in heaven. Meet our every need, Lord. Give us this day. Today and every day, but today because today is where we are. Our daily tortilla. Our bread. Our falafel. Whatever it is. And forgive us. Forgive us our sins and our transgressions, our trespasses against others as we forgive those who have done things to us, both in transgression and sin. And Lord, don't lead us. I know that you'll never lead us down that path of evil and temptation. But Lord, daily, just just deliver us from that wicked one who's so pesky every day. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Father, what a joy it is for us to be able to call him Father. So there there are many foul spirits, aren't there? This This is a very short list. But there are many foul spirits contending to lord over or have mastery of men's minds. But what we truly need to heed in these last days is the admonition of the Apostle Paul. And follow me here if you're still in 1 John or close to 1 John. Go back to 1 John chapter 4 and and, and verses 1 through 3. Because what John says is, Beloved, Now, when he says beloved, you know who he's speaking to? He's speaking to believers in Jesus Christ, those who are loved by God. That's what it means, beloved. God loves you. Now, I know that this, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Well, he loved all that he created. So much that he gave his only begotten son. But when he says beloved, he is saying, you are mine. You're mine. We're beloved by God in that sense of his of being his children. So he says, Beloved, John says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
And by this you know the Spirit of God. Now here's how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now that is implying something, that Jesus Christ is deity come in the flesh. And then he says, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. It's already there. Well, where did John live? In the very place that we've been talking about over the last few months when we deal with the judgments that are coming upon the nations that stand against Israel. That's where John lived. But I want to add something. Go back to two chapters, to chapter 2. And, and, and listen to what he says. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And may I encourage you once again to remember that there's one religion that denies the Father and the Son. There are, well, there are many, but not to this degree and not strictly speaking of Father and Son. They deny that. And then he says, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And again, an implication is given in that the person who does that, who acknowledges the Son and the Father, it is because of the Spirit. And therefore, there is the triune God. There is the fullness of God in our understanding. Anyway, I felt it was important for us to kind of tie our lives to this because it's going to affect us all. In one way or another, we need to stand for the truth of Jesus Christ. So as for Babylon being the cage of every unclean and hated bird, I would do us well to note the parables of Jesus that that show birds as symbolic of Satan. For example, in the parable of the sower, let me just read you a couple of verses in Mark uh, Mark 4, verses 14 and 15. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When the when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now, the way he describes that before he gives the explanation is that the birds come down and take the seed. So he is linking the birds to Satan. So <clears throat> Babylon is, not, is, is the habitation then not only of Satan, uh, uh, Babylon is the habitation not of saints and, and angels, but of demons and every foul spirit and even these hated birds which is really talking about Satan and his demons. So now the extent of Babylon's influence is stated once more in verse 3. So let's look at that. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Now the great harlot has wooed and won the nations of the world by its flirtations. What does a harlot do? A harlot does everything on the outside to draw men to them. So she has become the pride of the world as she makes the the nations rich through the abundance of her delicacies. I once again ask you to consider how the oil-rich royal Saudis and the princes of Dubai, what we talked about last week, which is the peninsula that we can call the wilderness of the sea, that whole Arabian area. The wilderness of the sea, it's also called the desert of the sea, I'll show you in just a moment, how they have made the nations rich and very dependent upon them. And I think I I mentioned last week, you know, we should be able to, we should be able to just support ourselves, I mean, be self-supported when it comes to the issue of oil in our country. But now we have to deal with another problem, which is all these people that are environmentalists and 
You know, there, there, there are ways to do it, but they just don't want to do it. But it's, that's, a, that's an evil thing too. I, I hope one day I'll be able to talk about, the, you know, the, the demonic influence upon, uh, you know, these liberal agendas that, that are going on today in the, in the country uh, politically. But by the way, I want, to, I want to ask you, do you remember what we saw back in, in Isaiah 21 referring to Babylon's fall? Do you remember that? Well, go back to 21, Isaiah, Isaiah 21. Go back there to the first verse of that chapter. I want you to see something. First of all, this is, I believe, this is the uh, King James Version. It says, the burden of the, of the desert of the sea. The burden, which means there's a judgment coming upon the desert of the sea. As whirlwinds in the south pass through, so it cometh from the desert from a terrible land. Now, if you have the King James Version, it says the burden against the wilderness of the sea. So you see that this is a judgment against the wilderness or the desert of the sea. As whirlwinds in the south pass through, so it comes from the desert from a terrible land. Now, as we saw last time, in this same chapter, chapter 21, Duma, Arabia, Tema, and Kedar are mentioned later on in the chapter as targets of judgment. And just for some context, I want you to look at this map. And if you'll notice the Arabian Desert there, you all see that? Let me know you see it because like I have my back turned to you. Okay, so you see it? All right. Now, these are all the deserts, the main deserts in the world. And, and, and you know, the Sarah's really the biggest one there. But you'll notice right above it, of course, that's where all the habitable places are, right? Think about this for a moment. Almost all, all of the Arabian uh, Peninsula, which includes Dubai, by the way. Dubai, the way. It includes that there. It's all desert. But it's surrounded. Water. 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 Water, water. Not this, because you have the, the habitable land all around here. Isn't that interesting? Because that's what we saw in the scriptures about the water and the sea around it. So here's a question that is not often brought up in, in the prophecy discussions. Something to think about again. What about the two covenants that Paul mentions in Galatians chapter 4? Some of you might remember this. Do, do they have, my question is, do they have relevance to end time prophecy as it relates to the, mystery, to the identity of mystery Babylon the great? Uh, the, uh, uh, the spiritual battle as Paul puts it in this section that I'm going to read to you right now in Galatians 4 is the spiritual battle is between Arabia which is represented by Hagar, the handmaiden of Sarah, who gave birth to Ishmael, and with Jerusalem, who is represented by Sarah. Now remember the contrast that we've given. We talked about it last week to some degree. Here is a woman who is a harlot, and she's also a city. And I took you over to chapter 21 and we saw a woman, the bride, who was also a city, Jerusalem. And now we see, not up here, that's a map, but in Galatians, we see this contrast. And we've never really discussed this from the prophetic Standpoint, But listen, let's look at it. For it is written, verse 22 of Galatians 4, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman. Please underline the word bondwoman because that's a slave woman. And the other by a free woman representing a free woman. That's Sarah. Representing freedom in essence. So one is bond, one is free, one is a, in essence a slave, the other is not. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, notice, and he of the free woman through promise. 
Isaac was the promised son to Abraham, not Ishmael. Uh, Which things are symbolic, it says in verse 24. For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar or Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. It's right there in the New Testament. And corresponds, notice, to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. And of course, that is because they hadn't accepted the, the truth of their Messiah. So they were still in somewhat bondage. But notice what it says. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Now stop and think about that phrase, which is the mother of us all. What is the great harlot? She is the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Bondage. 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 The word Islam itself is the word submission. Bondage. Jerusalem. Yerushalayim, the city of peace, is about freedom from all that has bound us for nearly 6,000 years. The sin that came from the serpent that became the deception from that day forward. And Cain, who killed his brother Abel, with the majority of the people before the flood, where it tells us that the heart of man became extremely wicked. And then after the flood, when man should have taken, when the sons of Noah should have gone and taken the knowledge of God with them, it just dissipated as they went on until. Babel. And now the religion was to attain the heights, which was the very same thing the serpent was was wanting to attain. The heights. To sit on the very throne of God. Isn't this been an interesting ride to lead us to this thought? Sinai. Interesting word. Have you seen in the book of Exodus that the children of Israel went through a wilderness called the wilderness of sin, S-I-N? And of course it's, it's transliterated from the, from the Hebrew, but uh, that word actually, <laughs> interestingly enough, and Mount Sinai comes from that word. has to do with the worship of the moon god. The crescent moon wasn't just invented by by Muhammad in, in the 7th century. There's actually reference to that all the way back to the book of Judges. And uh, hopefully we'll mention that next time because we're out of time here today. So here, Jerusalem is the mother of us all who are believers. And isn't it interesting? Arabia is also a mother. Think about it. Now I just want to leave you with that picture. Let me read these verses to you so we can close. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. You know, going back to that verse, I think about this every time I look at my lawn. 
Wow, thank you, Lord. I know there's coming a time I don't have to worry about that anymore. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The dwelling place of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Does that encourage you? I hope so. I hope so. I also hope that it encourages you to turn to Jesus if you haven't already and come to the truth, the only truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is a Father, there is a Son, and there is a Spirit, three in one.